last week, last week we considered what makes a great church. And I kind of want to continue in that theme uh, this week as well as we look at our passage of Scripture. And, 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 and let me just tell you this. The, the preacher's job, and I love to preach and teach. You, I hope that you guys know that. I love to preach. I love studying and putting things together. Some passages are a lot easier to preach than others. And it seems to hear lately, I'm getting some, some pretty tough ones. Brett is very thankful. Brett and Justin are thankful uh, of that. But man, I, I just, I love God's Word, and I think there's so much that we can glean from the Word of God. Um, I know that, that some folks will probably think, well, why are we studying this, or why are we reading over these kind of obscure passages? I believe that every bit of Scripture is worth us spending time on and meditating out of it. John Piper describes preaching as uh, the preacher is like a gold miner and he spends all week long uh, digging through hard rock and mining out the good parts of Scripture, not just the good parts of Scripture, but the, the jewel, the gold in that. And, and he talks about this when the preacher gets to get up on Sunday and says, look at this beautiful piece of gold that I found. And he gets to share it with those that he loves so very much. And he says, look at what we've, we've pulled out here of Scripture. It's not that we're, we're trying to make something out of Scripture, but we get to, ex, get to take our studies of all week long of God's Word, and we get to share that with all of you. It's an amazing thing that we get to do. And we're going to talk about more about preaching here in just a little bit this morning. But I want you to think about this. We talked about what makes a good church. And last week, we looked at three different things. There was, there was a good church, a, a great church. They have genuine affection for one another. They love one another, and it's okay to say that. We talked about that last week, and, and we talked about that a, a, a great church a, that we saw in Scripture too, that they're willing to endure together, endure inside the church and outside the church. The, the, the difficulties that we endure, the sufferings of one another, but we also endure for the sake of God's kingdom outside the, the, the body of believers as well. When there are things in this world that they come in and want to infringe on the goodness of the, the body of believers. And the third thing, too, is that we, we talked about that we labor together, that we work together, that we have, everyone has different gifts that we can use to, to build and grow God's kingdom. That's how He works. Now, I want to continue with that, that, that kind of same that theme today as we look at our passage of Scripture. And I ask the question again, so what, what makes a great church? I want you to think about that as we walk through some of these things this morning. And, and my job is to look at the text and go, what is God speaking to us here? And how can, how can we kind of just look at this, this account of history here? And what is God speaking to us here as well? I want to continue this. So what makes a great church? Remember, remember that the church is a people. It's not a building. It's not a name. It is a people redeemed by Christ through faith in His death, burial, and resurrection. And a great church is one that has deep love for the Lord, has a deep love for the truth, and has a deep love for people. This is what we talked about last week. If you're looking at your notes from last week, maybe you have that in there. And here's the reason. God has called us, He's called us out of darkness into marvelous light. We just sang about that. That He's called us out of darkness into marvelous light. The, the church... The church is what God has called out of the darkness of the world, made it His own, put it into the light, and we live in the light. The Greek word, is you, if you look in, in Scripture, the Greek word is ekklesia, and simply what it means is, is just the assembly. But, but it's interesting that, that God chose to use just that word assembly that we refer to as the church of gathering of believers, Christians. So we like to look at it as the assembly of the called out ones. It means the assembly or called out ones. That we're called out of this darkness and into faith and joyful submission to the Lordship of Jesus. That's the church. We see in Ephesians 1 where Jesus is the, the head of the church. I'm not the head of this church. Christ is the head of this church. Christ is. We need to remember that as well. He has brought us together as the family of God through the truth of the gospel. The gospel is the foundation. God's word, this logos, the word, the gospel is our foundation. That's what unites us all 
together. So looking at the church, we typically see the church in two different ways. We, we, we typically see the church as, as, as one, the big C church. That's the universal church. That is the collection of all believers that ever has been or ever will be. That is the big C church. It's encompassing all believers that have put their faith in Jesus. And then there's the local church, or the what we like to say the little C church. Calvary Severance is a little C church. It's a local church church, local collection of body of believers that we were committed to one another and committed to the Word of God and making Jesus non-ignorable. It's the little C church. And here's the thing. This is kind of what I want to talk about this morning. The local church is vital to a believer. Because this is where, this is where members of the big C church can apply, that we can apply our, the, what we call these body principles. These things that were all gifts that we have. We can apply those together. It's where we locally commit to one another. We serve together. We learn together. We hold each other accountable together. We affirm one another together and so on. This is the purpose of the local church. And it is vital to the Christian. It's vital to the believer. To neglect the fellowship of the local church is going against what God has designed. And what we see in our passage of Scripture today is a glimpse of the beauty of the early local church. Now, we're going to look at some interesting stuff. The Apostle Paul, he preaches for a long time, longer than I do, so much so that a guy falls out of a window to his death. Nobody's in a window this morning. The floor is not that far. You should be okay, all right? Let's read God's Word this morning. It's Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 16. And if you don't have a Bible, there is one around you. And if you need one, we want you to have that. Um, You can take that with you. If you know someone that needs a copy of God's Word, by all means, grab that. We want you to take that with you. Uh, They knew no good sitting in a box throughout the week if you need a Bible. Let's read God's Word. Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 16. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while, until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a, not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for, he, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met, at, met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came to the following day opposite uh, Chios. The next day, we touched at uh, Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Let's pray and ask God to just to bless our time this morning. Father in heaven, we praise you for all that you are. We thank you that you are a God that has designed your body of believers. That you call us out of darkness into marvelous light. And you have designed your body of believers to gather together to worship you and to labor for the growth of your kingdom. Father, my prayer is that you would help us to see the beauty of that, to help us to see the gift of the church that you have given us. And Father, help us to be the gift of the church as well. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you are, all that you do. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is the head of the church and he has established the church by His death, burial, and resurrection. 
And it's in His name that we pray. Amen and amen. If you look at our passage here, and just kind of catching us up here, according to, to our passage, uh, Paul and his traveling partners, spent, they went and spe- uh, spent a week in Troas, and, and, and they gathered with believers on the first day of the week. And they gathered there for the preaching of the Word and taking of the Lord's Supper. You notice there in verse 7, they, they, it was the first day of the week. They gathered together, much like we're doing here, to worship together. Now keep in mind, there was no First Baptist of Troas at the time. There were certainly synagogues that Jewish believers, Jewish uh, people gathered in regularly, but, but this was in a home. They didn't have this established uh, place that they could go to. They didn't have a school that they could rent out to have church in. So they met in a home, and obviously it was, it was kind of big, and of three stories, and there were a lot of lamps, and it was in the evening, and they were gathering there to worship. They met on the first day of the week, and they did so for specific reasons. This is what we see here. A local church regularly gathers together on the Lord's Day for worship. This is what we see here. This is the first example that we see of the early church, and they gathered on the Lord's Day to worship. To gather together. We see all throughout the New Testament, Christians gather together on Sunday, the first day of the week. And the reason is, it's the, the day of Christ's resurrection. This is why we meet on Sundays. Believers met and worshiped on Sunday, and, and we still do because it, at the heart and the foundation of the new covenant is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't meet on Saturday, which is the Jewish Sabbath. We meet on Sunday because what we do when we gather here on Sunday morning is we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. If you've been here on Easter with us, we talk about that every Sunday is an Easter celebration for us. That we remember what Christ has done. That He, yes, He has paid for our sins through His death and burial, but it is His resurrection that encompasses our hope and our life. We get eternal life because Christ rose again. He is alive. This is why we gather on Sunday mornings. To celebrate that, to remember that. It is a reminder that Christ rose for you and I. That Romans 8.1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What that means is Christ rose again and we have hope. So when we gather here and we sing these songs and we pray and we open God's Word, I hope this is why we preach the Gospel every Sunday is a reminder to each and every one of us that Christ lives, therefore we live if our hope and faith and trust is in Him. This is what this means. Believers, we meet and worship on Sunday. We still do because that is the foundation of the new covenant. It's Christ's resurrection. Now, I have to understand this because a lot of people think, well, what about the Sabbath? What about the Sabbath? The Sabbath was the sign of the Mosaic covenant. You can read about that in Exodus 31. I have a lot to talk about this morning, so we're not going to go there. Food's getting cold. But you look at Exodus 31, it was written for the nation of Israel. But it doesn't take long if you look through the New Testament here, what we see here, maybe look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 or Hebrews 8, that, that we are under the new covenant that Christ has made through His death, burial, and resurrection. It's a new covenant that we live under. We also see here too, the reason why we don't meet on Saturday, we do on Sunday, is nowhere in the New Testament are we commanded to keep the Sabbath. You won't find it. In fact, what we see is historically, the New Testament church, these believers, they meet on Sunday, the Lord's Day. We're not commanded to keep that. You know what we are commanded to do? Check this out. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who, who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
We may not be under the, the old covenant, but what we are commanded to do is to do these. We are to hold fast to the confession of our faith, and we do this without wavering. You know what that means? That we do it continually, consistently. It's not when we feel like it. We hold fast to this confession. What is our confession? Christ lives. He rose again. That is our confession. Now listen to what he says. He says, For he who promises faithful, and let us consider, listen to this, let us consider how to stir up one another. I learned this, and my, my favorite translation of this is the, the NIV. It says to spur one another along. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Anybody ever been spurred before? It kind of hurts, but it's good. We're to stir one another up for what? To love and good works. And the writer of Hebrews says, hey, don't neglect meeting together. Some of you are. But don't do that because it is how, how we're reminded to hold fast to our confession that Christ lives. What we see here is that we are to physically gather together on the Lord's Day to worship together. Anybody else hate COVID? You can ask Brett and Mark and Shelby and my wife, I hated COVID. Because for about three months, I had to be a televangelist and I hated it. I preached to a camera in my basement. And you know what was so bad about that? It was so hard for me. I couldn't gather with my brothers and sisters. I couldn't see your face. I couldn't hug you and I couldn't tell you face to face that I love you. and I couldn't be reminded from you to me that, that Christ is risen. It is so vital that we gather together to worship together. This is something about, there's just something about being together on a Sunday, worshiping together. It's, it's good. We need to, to see each other. We need to hear each other sing. We need to engage in corporate worship of King Jesus together. And here's the thing, here's the thing. I believe that one of the greatest tools of the enemy is convincing us that gathering together for corporate worship is not that important. We get convinced that there are more important things to do. And I'm going to say some hard things because I love you. Sometimes the enemy convinces us that our kids' sporting events are a lot more important than what we do here on a Sunday morning. Or maybe our leisure activities are more important than gathering with the saints and worshiping King Jesus. Or maybe we even convince ourselves we just have something better to do. Now I'm not talking about the occasional, hey, I can't make it. I don't need to think about these things. Honestly, I mean, what, when we put other things ahead of gathering for worship. What are, we, what are we teaching other people? Especially our kids. What, what we're teaching them, maybe we wouldn't say this out loud, but honestly what we're teaching them is, yeah, it's really not that important. Church, it's vital that we gather together. It's vital that we gather together to worship together. I want you to think about this. This early church you think about the things that they were facing at the time and will face. They were facing persecution and hardships, yet they saw the importance of meeting together because they knew the world is evil. And they needed to gather together to be encouraged and equipped to be who God had called them to be. I think our American church today, we are too comfortable. We are way too comfortable. I'm amazed that at churches and in other countries where it is so dangerous for them to gather together. And some of these believers, they get up and they travel for miles on foot to stay all day to sit under preaching and teaching of God's Word. They wouldn't trade it for anything. Even, even under the, just the threat of, of being put in prison or being killed. Because it's so important for them to gather together as the called out body of believers to worship together. 
we need to do the same thing because here's the thing. When we neglect to gather together, we neglect to love one another, encourage one another, to serve one another, to instruct one another, and to labor together to reach the lost. There's a story I heard a long time ago, and you probably have heard this as well. There was an old country pastor that knew of a guy, an old rough fellow that that hadn't, been, hadn't shown up for church in a long time. And it was during hunting season, this guy, he was at his deer camp, and in a Sunday evening, this preacher traveled out there, and he found this guy sitting in front of a campfire. And he sat down with him, and he said, Hey, preacher, how you doing? He said, I'm pretty good. I just want to come and see how you're doing. I haven't seen you in a while. He goes, Yeah. And as the preacher's talking to him, the preacher takes, takes some tongs, and he gets a coal out of the fire, and he doesn't say anything, he just takes it and he, he kind of sets it over here by itself. And the guy says, yeah, preacher. He says, you know, I love the Lord, I love Jesus, and you know, I read my Bible, and when I'm sitting in a deer stand or something, I read my Bible and all that stuff. He says, I just don't see the need to go. I, you know, I'm just out here in the woods and I get to worship the Lord, and I don't deny that. And the preacher says, hey, I don't deny that. They kind of talked on it a little bit, and and the guy continued to make more excuses and more excuses. And, and then the pastor, he, he drew his, the, the fellow's attention to the coal. And he goes, do you see that coal right there? He says, when I first got here, several minutes ago, I pulled that coal out of that fire. It was hot when I pulled it out. It was burning really well. But look at it now. No longer glowing. Probably could pick it up with your hand that's cooled off enough. And the preacher took the tongs and he took it and he put back into the fire. And it was just a few seconds later that that ember or that coal was burning hot again. And the preacher says, this is kind of like us believers. When we fail, when we neglect to fellowship and worship with other believers, we get separated from that and that heat and that fire begins to dwindle. Oh, but you put it back in there. And man, look at it glowing hot again. And you think about that. I heard that story and I thought, man, what a great illustration for us. Because it doesn't take much at all for us to maybe miss a Sunday or, 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 or just begin to maybe slowly step out of just a fellowship of believers. And before long, we're kind of like that coal that's not hot anymore. And our passion for the Lord begins to dwindle. Here's the thing. When we gather for corporate worship on the Lord's Day, it is good for us. We, we feed on each other. We encourage one another. We build each other up. And here's what we do. We consistently remind each other of the resurrection of Jesus. And that is our hope and our joy. I want you to see this too that we see in our passage of Scripture here that a local church gathers regularly for the preaching of the Word. On this first day of the week, these believers gather together to hear the Word of God preached. And Paul was preaching. He preached a lot. That's why they gather together. They, to hear the Word of God and hear it read and hear it expounded upon. I love what John Piper calls preaching. He calls good preaching is expository exaltation. It means that we take Scripture and we go, let's see Jesus in here. Let's see the glory of God in here. Let's unpack this. And, and, and our hope is that we can, my hope is that, that I can point you to Jesus when you look at God's Word and, and you leave out of here and we've studied God's Word, you see Jesus clearly. You love Jesus more. That is my hope. And this is, I believe what John Piper talks about when he calls this expository exaltation. We see the importance of preaching in this text here. I think it's very clear. The importance of preaching of the God's Word in this text. Let me kind of unpack this just a little bit. The room was crowded. Paul's preaching his guts out. Lots of folks in there and these lamps are going and he's, he's preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching. And there's this boy that wants to hear the preaching of the Word, but he's probably worked all day long. These lamps are in there. It's probably stuffy and smoky and oxygen levels a little lower because all of these lamps and all those other people breathing in there. 
And he crawls up to a third floor, floor window, maybe to catch a, a breath of fresh air, but he's sitting up there and he falls asleep. And when he did, he fell from the window to his death. And I believe he was dead because Luke writes Acts, and Luke was a doctor. He would know if a fellow's dead or not. Luke says he's dead. He's dead. Now notice, notice that Luke doesn't make a big deal about this. This is what I noticed when I read this. Like, here's this kid, he falls out of the third floor window. Paul goes down, hey, don't worry about him. His life's still in him. That's what he does. He, does, he says, the boy falls to his death. Paul stops preaching, takes the boy in his arms, and the Holy Spirit restores his life. Now notice this, what does Paul do? What does he do? He goes back to preaching. He goes back to preaching and teaching. The emphasis is, not, is on the preaching of God's Word because Paul knows that, that it is the Word of God rightly handled and proclaimed is central to believers gathering to worship. Yes, it's an amazing thing that here's this boy that falls to his death and, and God restores his life. But it's the preaching of the Word that's central here. It's the preaching. It's not the miracle. It's the preaching. It was the Word of God proclaimed that is vital to the health of a church. It's not a miracle. It's God's Word. Stephen Lawson says this about preaching. He says, The preaching of the Word of God is so critically essential for the spiritual vitality of every church because it is the primary, ordinary means of grace. You take that away and you have, you have removed from the church God's primary means by which He is pouring His grace into the lives of the congregation. The preaching of the Word. That's why we say open your Bibles. That's why when we preach, these men that stand in this pulpit their job is to point you to Jesus, to clarify the text. And it's why we, we have other passages of Scripture that support what we say. Because it is, it is the Word of God that is vital. And it is central. Listen to what Paul tells Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. If you're turning there, I encourage you to just... I'm going to give you a minute. 2 Timothy 3, just turn there. You need to see this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16. Paul tells Timothy, he says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Paul says, preach the Word. Because it's vital. It's vital. And if you go into chapter 4, look at the first two verses of chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the Word. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, go do great things and be a miracle. He says, no, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preach the Word. Romans 1.16, it won't be on the screen here, but, but you, if you look at Romans 1.16, Paul says it is the, the, the gospel, the word of God is the power of salvation. It's God's word. It's, it's the word. But Paul says here in 2 Timothy, he doesn't, he doesn't tell Timothy to go perform neat miracles and lights and smoke and be a great entertainer. Let me tell you something. We don't need entertainment. We need the truth. This is what we need. I'm not here to entertain you. You can find much better entertainment. What we need is the truth of God's Word. I'm not here to preach an idea. I'm here to preach the full counsel of God's Word. This is what we do. The preacher, the pastor should... Preach the full counsel of God's Word because the Word of God is the greatest way that God reveals Himself to us and He tells us who we are. Think about this. God has one Son and He's a preacher. Jesus. 
came as a preacher. And Jesus took His disciples. And what did He do with them? He made them preachers. He says, go and share the Word. Go and teach the Word. This should mean something. It is, it is faithful, expositional preaching that is at the center of our worship because that is how God has designed His church to function. And when we deviate from the importance of the faithful preaching of God's Word, when we gather, we are missing out on the goodness that God reveals to us week after week after week. Now, I'm not neglecting the other things that we do in our worship service. I'm not neglecting our, our, our music portion. But I know this, when we sing, we sing things that are theologically sound, that are scriptural. And we pray together. I believe that's important as well. But we see the importance of the preaching of God's Word. And here's what faithful preaching looks like. The Word of God is central. It's central. It's the text. Psalms 12.6 says, The word, words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the, gro- on, on the ground, purified seven times. It's the Word, the Word of God. It is, if, if this is true, this is true, Psalms 12.6, if that is true, then every word needs to be proclaimed, examined, and understood. The preacher is subject to the text. Not the other way around. Scripture is the authority. And its message must be presented honestly, apart from personal biases as well. That's why we talk about hard things. We don't pass those things up. We talk about sin. We talk about repentance. We talk about those things. We don't dance around those things. I'm not here to make you feel good. The man that stands in the pulpit will stand before God one day and give an account for how He teaches and preaches. And that terrifies me. It terrifies me. But I know this, my job, our job, is that I want you to see the glory of Christ. I want you to see the resurrected Jesus. I want you to cherish Jesus and what He's done for you. When we do this, we understand that Scripture is the authority. And its message must be presented honestly apart from any of those things. And we know that it is the Word of God that changes lives. It's the Word of God that changes lives. Not me. It's God. It's God's Word faithfully proclaimed over and over again. That's what what Paul says to the Romans. Romans chapter 10. This is this. This this is why I say we're a Romans 10 church. It says, everyone, verses 13 through 15, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? We love that, right? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, how then? Paul says, well, how then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone, what? Preaching. Preaching. Preaching the Word. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. It's a regular preaching of God's Word. It's a reminder of who Jesus is and who we are. And we desperately need that reminder. Week after week after week, we need it. Why? Because we're quick to forget. We're quick to forget. The beautiful thing here too, that a local church gathers regularly for the observance of the ordinances. It's what we see in our text here. We see here too that these believers, along with Paul, Luke is there with them, observed the Lord's Supper. It's one of the ordinances. They took communion together. See it in verse 7 and verse 11. Evidence of that. It's not a reference to a casual meal. This is, most theologians believe, this is called to partake of the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to justify that here in just a second. It was the observance of the Lord's Supper. The disciples were commanded to observe the Lord's Supper regularly. Jesus told him to do this. You see this is 1 Corinthians 11. Paul writes about this. 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26. He says, For I received from the Lord what I, uh, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it, and He said, This is My body, which is for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup. And after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're commanded to do this. Why? To remember what Christ has done. And we have to understand too, we talk about this too, there's, there's two ordinances of the church. The Lord's Supper and baptism. There are two things that Jesus told the church to do. Hey, take of the Lord's Supper, remember me, and baptize new believers. You baptize them. This is what we are to do. We're to make disciples, baptize them, observe the Lord's Supper. Remember the Great Commission? Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. It's a command from Jesus. Go, preach the Word. And when people embrace it and they believe it, and they confess their faith in Jesus, you baptize them. And then regularly partake of the Lord's Supper. This is what we are to do. Why do we do these things? Why do we take of a little cup of grape juice and a gluten-free cracker? Why do we do that every week? Why do, we, why do we roll in a cattle trough in here that sometimes leaks and dunk people in there? Why do we do those things? It's a regular reminder of God's kindness to us. Church, it is a regular reminder of Christ's kindness to us. We observe the Lord's Supper as a reminder of our sinfulness and the deep need of a Savior. This is why we make it a big deal. It's not something that we should shove off into a corner of a service. It's a big deal. It's a, it is a reminder of our inseparable relationship with Jesus as believers. And it's a reminder of our fellowship with one another as well. It's a family meal. And it's meant as a reminder of how and why we are a family because of Christ and His resurrection. Baptism is also one of those beautiful things that is meant for the church to observe. It's for the church. It's why we do it on a Sunday morning. We make it a big deal. It's a baptism service. And, and here's the thing. We're going to have a baptism service in January. And if you haven't been obedient, if your faith is in Christ and you haven't been obedient to Jesus in baptism, let's celebrate that. Let's do this. You, you're a living reminder to us all of the goodness of God that He's done through Christ. We have a little book out there. It's called Understanding Baptism written by a guy named Bobby Jameson. This is what he says about baptism. And I love this. It is a church's act of affirming and portraying a believer's union with Christ by immersing Him in water and a believer's act of publicly committing themselves to Christ and His people, thereby uniting a believer to the church and marking himself off from the world. This is why baptism is a celebration for us because it is a reminder of us of what Christ has done in the life of that believer and in our lives. When we have a baptism service, don't you remember when you came to faith? Isn't it a reminder of the goodness of the gospel for you? Nobody? Just me. Isn't that a reminder when we see these folks and we celebrate? This is why we cheer, we clap, we give big wet hugs and all of those things. Because it's a reminder of not what this person has done, but what Christ has done for that person. That is what we do those things for. And we do this as a church. It's, it's a way that the church celebrates and recognizes what Christ has and is doing in the life of believers. And baptism and the Lord's Supper, it's a family affair. It needs to be observed and celebrated amongst believers. In these remaining verses, we see Paul leave leave this local body of believers and he's traveling. He's on his missionary journey. 
And he travels to other cities. And we see, first of all, he embarks on the first leg alone. And we're, we don't really know why, but we can kind of assume that maybe this gave the Apostle Paul more time to, to fellowship with maybe new believers. For him traveling on foot, maybe some of them traveled with him. Maybe he was discipling some of them as he traveled. Maybe he met some along the way. We don't know why he didn't get on the boat with the other companions. Now, we have to see here that, that it doesn't specifically say, but we can certainly assume that Paul was preaching and teaching and encouraging believers along the way because that's, that's what Paul did. That's just how he lived his life. What we see is an example of not just a navel gazing at a body of believers, our little holy huddle here, but a commitment to those that were a part of other body of believers. This is where Big C Church comes into. This is the last thing I want to point out here. The local church should have care and fellowship for other believers. We have to, what this means is that we understand and recognize that we are, we are, Calvary Severance is not the Big C Church. We're just a small piece of it. But we are a part of the universal church. And we need to understand that. That we have brothers and sisters that God has redeemed all over the world. And that He is redeeming and will redeem. And they are part of our church, Big C Church. Now I'm not sure why Paul declined to go to Ephesus. Maybe, maybe it was too dangerous. Maybe, maybe he knew he would be caught up and... And, and stay too long, and all of this. We, we're not sure why. What we do see is that he cared enough to make, make and take the time to meet with the leaders. You'll, we'll see that next week in verse 17. You can read ahead there. But he calls for these leaders in Ephesus, and he meets with them there. What we see is the importance of investing in other believers. This is what we are to do. So often, many churches get so caught up in themselves that they actually do the kingdom harm. There's sometimes a sense of self-righteousness that comes even from churches. Man, we're doing it right. Let me tell you something. We ain't doing it all right. We're not. There's a lot of things that we could be doing a whole lot better. There's a lot of other local churches that do things a whole lot better than us. But there are brothers and sisters. There's some that maybe not do it as well as we do. But you know what? That's not the point. The point is that they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They are our eternal brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's the thing. I think we do the kingdom of God a great injustice by drawing imaginary lines that separate us. We have to be careful with this. We need to be be encouraging and supporting of others outside of our fellowship that, that have the same goal of solidly preaching and teaching God's Word and discipling believers. This is why we are, we are in a family of churches as the Calvary family of churches. That's why we have, have and we support missionaries. Because they are brothers and sisters and they are reaching our brothers and our sisters. And here's the thing, we have to be very, very careful not to allow some peripheral, open-handed issues to be divisive when the clarity of the gospel and salvation does not rest upon such things. If you want to sit and talk to me about my eschatology, I would love to do that. But I want you to know this too, that your salvation doesn't rest upon whether you're a pre-trib, post-trib, post-millennial, all-millennial, none of that stuff. And I have, firm, I have a firm foundation on certain things that I, I, I hold to in Scripture. We as a church hold to certain things in Scripture, but we do not allow peripheral things to divide us amongst other believers. What we do is we hold to God's Word. And there are those that we disagree with theologically that I know definitely love Jesus. They believe the same Gospel. That we believe. And it's a, it's a dangerous thing I think that we do. When we draw imaginary lines. In those areas. And I'm not saying that we should just kick theology out the door. I'm not. 
saying that. What I'm saying is, is we don't need to allow it to be a division when it shouldn't be a division. It's a sermon for another day. We should be careful not to allow those things to be divisive in us. And here's what I know. It is a beautiful thing when the big C church labors together for the kingdom of God. It's a beautiful thing. When we make the gospel of Jesus Christ first and foremost, the resurrection of Christ first and foremost in all that we do. The local church is vital for the believer. It's vital. It's vital for the believer. It's our home. It's our home. I want you to think about this. This is where we are. We are nurtured and we grow and we help others do the same thing. This is why it's so vital. And Here's what I want us to do. Is just, I want you to just consider, maybe this week, maybe this week, let us commit to this precious gift that God has given us. It's important that we gather together. I've had people ask me, hey, hey Josh, are we going to have church Christmas morning? It's Sunday, isn't it? I'm going to be here. My family's going to be here. We're going to worship King Jesus. On Christmas morning. Because it's important. And it's vital. That we gather together. So I have four questions for you. Just to consider as we. We go about our week this week. Are there things that you need to make a priority? Are there things that you tend to make a priority over gathering as a church body? Now, I understand, there, I used to have to work on some Sundays, and I get that. I'm not talking about those things, but, but there are things that we tend to make a priority over the beauty of gathering together on a Sunday morning to worship. Maybe we need to wrestle with those things this week. Here's the second one. Are there hindrances for you to cherish the preached Word of God? What are those hindrances for you to cherish just the proclaimed word of God? Maybe we need to wrestle with those things too. I don't like the sound of that old boy's country voice or whatever. He goes too long, whatever. Maybe, maybe the Lord's trying to teach you something about the goodness of His word. Here's number three. Do you see the value and importance of observing the ordinances of the church? My early childhood, this was one of the things I, I, I never really understood. We took the Lord's Supper every Sunday, and it was, it was one of those things. I guess it just got to be this repetition thing where it's the time when I get a, a taste of a stale cracker and some old grape juice, and that was what it meant. Until I was really sat down and explained the, the purpose of what we do and the ordinances of the church, of the Lord's Supper and the importance of baptism. And here's number four. Do you see the beauty of the church working corporately together for God's glory and the joy of His people? I guess maybe what I'm asking in all four of these is do you, do you see and cherish the gift that is the church? Man, I love our church. Man, I love our church. I love all of you so dearly. I love it when we sing together. I love to hear the amens. I love to see hands raised. I, I love to see Bibles opened. I love to go to life group and, and where you're talking about the Word and you share your struggles and you share your joys and you share of how you're sharing the truth of the gospel outside the confines of Calvary Severance. It 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 just livens my soul when we do those things. I love the church. What a precious gift it is. And my prayer today is that we not take the gift of the church for granted. So let's pray and ask God to help us in that. Father in heaven, I thank you that you're holy and righteous and you're sovereign in all things and you have you have given us the gift of the church. 
both universal and local, and I am so thankful. I'm so thankful that you give us this gift. And Father, my prayer is that you would help me and all of us to not take the gift of the church, your bride, for granted. And Father, may we not look at church as something that we go to, but something that we are. That we are we are the assembly of the called out ones. And that we are to fully, all of us, engage in encouraging and equipping and holding each other up and pointing to the resurrected Jesus. So Father, I ask that you help us to do that because there are so many things in this world that pull us away from those things that are just laboring to draw us away from the goodness that is church, your bride, where you are the head. So Father, forgive us where we have done that. And Lord, would you draw our affections to you because that is why we are the church. It's because you have stirred our affections for you. Father, help us to look at the goodness of the gospel. My prayers for those that are here this morning that are Maybe they've just thought they were coming to church, but maybe you are calling them to the church and they are submitting their lives to you today, that you have called them. And Father, I pray that they would lay those things down at your feet and they would embrace the goodness of the gospel. And that we, as the called out ones, this, this holy assembly, we could celebrate with them. So Father, I pray that you would work as only that you do. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.